First Peter chapter 1. want to share some historical facts with you today. Historical facts. The first one is that Jesus died. Jesus died 2,000 some odd years ago and he died on a cross. The Romans crucified him. He died. He was dead physically dead. He stopped breathing. His heart stopped beating. The blood stopped coursing through his veins, at least the blood that was left in him after he was crucified and beaten. His brain ceased to have brain waves. The rest of his organs shut down and functioned no more. His soul went to heaven and his body was wrapped in a linen cloth covered with myrrh and aloes, as was the custom of the day to cover the stench of decay that was sure to come, and he was laid in a tomb. That was the first fact. He died. Why? Why did he die? Why did this man die? And why was this man's death more significant than anyone else's death? Because we all die. Peter puts it this way in 18 and 19, verses 18 and 19, in the passage that we're about to read, he says, You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. See? The reason Jesus died on the cross was that he was paying a ransom. And we, we know what a ransom is. A ransom is what you pay for someone who is a prisoner of war or a slave or someone who is a criminal and condemned to death. Uh, you pay the ransom so that they can be freed. All of these apply to what Jesus did because on the cross he paid the ransom for humans who are sinners. They have been captured by the enemy, Satan. They are under the power of evil and sin. They are slaves. They are enslaved to sin. You can't just escape it. And they are condemned to die for their sins. So on the cross, Jesus paid the ransom to set his people free. So he died for a great cause to save sinners. But then, second fact, he rose again. He was dead, physically dead. But early Sunday morning, his heart started beating again. He began to draw breath. The brain and all the other organs started functioning again. And his eyes opened, and he left the empty tomb. He arose from the dead. Why did he do that? Why is that significant? Well, his resurrection demonstrates that God the Father accepted his death as a full discharge 
for the ransom of sinners. He paid the ransom in his death, and by rising from the dead, the Father is saying, yes, I accept that ransom that you have paid for sinners. And not only that, but he secured not only their freedom, but also their victory over death, the grave, and all spiritual enemies. He arose victorious as we've been singing and saying this morning. Now, those two facts that Jesus died and he rose again makes him particularly equipped to save sinners who unite to him by faith. Paul makes the point in Romans 6, in his letter to the Romans, that Christ was raised from the dead so that we may walk in newness of life. And he goes on to say, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. See those same things we are talking about, ransom. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And all who are united to him by faith, same is true of them as well. He puts it another way in 2 Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, he, he brings spiritual life where there's spiritual death because he died for sin and he rose from the dead. The same spirit that, that raised Jesus from the dead works now in people's hearts like yours and mine. Cleansing from sin and bringing spiritual life where there's spiritual death. Peter's going to be talking about that in a second when we read the passage. So because of these facts, these historical facts, because Jesus came to earth and did these things, we can confidently say, along with Peter, that he said in Acts chapter 4, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He is the only way. No one else claims this. No other religious leader that has ever existed on earth has done these things, these facts that I shared. None of them has claimed to have died to pay for your sins. And none of them has claimed to be still alive, except Jesus. That makes him unique. All the other religious leaders will tell you that you need to follow these five steps or eight steps or whatever it might be so that you can save yourself. But Christ came and he did it for us. He paid the ransom, a full, complete payment that you can neither add to you cannot add to it. You can't 
make it more complete by your participation. He's done it all, completely. So Christ is the only way, and that makes him unique. And that's why the Bible says, and Peter says, there is no other name. There's nobody else that can save you this way. You can't save yourself. No one else can save you. Only Christ can save you. Now, to the passage today. This is why Peter is so excited. Because what we're going to see here in verse 3 and following is Peter praising God, rejoicing in God, and encouraging the people to whom he's writing to rejoice as well, even in the midst of the difficulties they're facing, because these people to whom Peter is writing were greatly suffering because they were identifying with Christ. Let's pick up the reading in 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what persons or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. I find that little phrase astounding, that this gospel, this good news about Christ is something that the angels love to study. They just think it's the coolest thing ever. Continuing on. Therefore, it is the coolest thing ever, actually. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially, According to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth 
For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. I want you to notice in verse 3, Peter says that these Christians, through the resurrection, the, the crown of all that Jesus did in his perfect life and sacrificial death, he's using a part for the whole. The resurrection is the cherry on top. It's the, it's, it's the most important part, in, in a sense, because if Paul says if Christ didn't rise up from the grave, then our faith is futile, and preaching it is in vain. It's all very, very important, but without the resurrection, it's not, it's not finished, it's not completed. He's using a part for the whole. It's kind of like when a, a captain on a ship says, all hands on deck, all hands on deck. You know, he wants, he doesn't want a bunch of hands coming up. He wants more than their hands, he wants their whole bodies to come up on deck and hoist the sails or... You know, man the guns or whatever it is that the captain wants them to do. They're going to use their hands. That's the part that they're going to be using that's most important. So when Peter's talking about the resurrection, he's, he's saying because of what Christ has done and, and the fact that it's been capped off with him rising from the dead, that because of all that, God has literally, is what it says here, rebirthed them or, or begotten them again. Uh, as it says here, it's granted them to be born again to a living hope. So he's talking about spiritual rebirth or what theologians call regeneration. To be renewed, to be a new creation in Christ where there was once spiritual death to have spiritual life. Peter is saying that they have been, by an act of God's Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that he has brought spiritual life into their souls where there was once spiritual death in sin and trespass. God in his mercy has reached down and raised their souls to new life. And one day their bodies are going to follow suit. All because of his merciful provision of a Savior who died and rose again. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son to do everything that he did so that we might have eternal life. So he's talking about being reborn. Having a rebirth in the soul. A new creation. And he goes on to say that they have been reborn to a living hope through the resurrection. Now what is a, a living hope? It's, it's the opposite of a dying hope or a dead hope. Now, I used to watch baseball more than I do now. I think I got mad at them because they keep wanting higher salaries and such. But I, I rooted for the Braves. Uh, in the 90s it was good. Not so good anymore. I like the Cubs as well. That's a lost cause. 
You start off the year with some hope. You know, you're, you have a, a living hope that this is the year. They're going to go all the way. And you know, it's a, what, 162 plus games, a long season. But at some point in the season, especially if you're a Cubs fan, your hope begins to die. You have a dying hope. And then towards the end of the season, you have a dead hope. And your team is not even going to make the playoffs. A living hope is one that exists. You have it. It is, it is in, the Bible, in the Bible definition of hope, it is something that is certain. It is sure to happen. We use the term hope a little differently. We use it as kind of like wishful thinking. I hope, uh, I hope I get a nice present at Christmas. Well, that means that you're hoping for it, you're, you're wishing for it, but there's a chance it might not happen. You might get a bag of switches instead or a, or a lump of coal in your stocking. There's a chance it won't happen. That's often how we use the term hope, kind of wishful thinking, but there's a chance it might not happen. The Christian's hope is absolutely 100% secure. It's something that we know is happening in the future and we're living our lives in the presence based on that. It's a living hope. We have it and we hold on to it and it influences the way that we live our lives. That's what Paul, uh, Peter is rejoicing in right now. He's saying God, because of his mercy and because of the new life that he's given us in Christ and and the inheritance that's coming, which we'll talk about in a moment, that, that promise that one day we will have glorified bodies like Christ had after he rose from the dead. We will live forever in the new heavens and new earth, real physical lives, not up on a cloud playing a harp somewhere, but living, breathing like Christ, physical, raised from the dead, alive again. That's our hope. That's going to happen. And so we live our lives reflecting that hope, looking forward to that hope. A lot of us don't do that. And that's the problem. And see, these people were going through a lot of difficulties and they were losing their hope. It's discouraging. Life is discouraging when you do get sick and your body begins to break down or... People hate you or you have financial problems or relationship problems. All these things can be very discouraging and you can lose hope. Well, Peter is trying to build them up and reminding them that they have something far greater than anything this world has to offer that is secure. It's a living hope because Christ rose from the dead. And that's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we're rejoicing today. Because it's secure. Now he basically says two things through the rest of the passage. He's talking about uh, suffering. You know, in verse 6 he talks about the various trials they're going through. And he's, he's encouraging them to remember this hope in the midst of trials. Yes, people are persecuting you because of your faith. They're making it very hard for you to make a living they are uh, preventing you from getting a job because you will not uh, say Caesar is Lord. That, was, that happened in the Roman Empire to those Christians. These things were happening to them. And, and Peter's saying, look, look beyond this world and the things of this world 
and set your hope there and rejoice that this is a very short period of time and there's something far greater coming and it will be forever. And the sickness that you're enduring and the disease that you have, your body's going to be perfected and glorified and you're going to live forever in the new heavens and the new earth with Christ. You love him, he says, and you rejoice in that. A, a joy that you can't really describe. He says there in verse 8, Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Now when you're going through the trials you're going through today, have you, do you experience that? A joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. I find that difficult to do because I forget the gospel. I forget what Christ has done for me. And that's what I'm trying to do today, to remind you that if you're in Christ, you have a living hope. Now some of you today may not know that living hope. You may not even have ever experienced that rebirth that we're talking about, that, that regeneration, the, the, the life, the spiritual life that God brings into the soul through Christ. How do you, how do you unite to Christ? How, how does that happen? He, he tells us here. He says in verse 22, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That phrase, obedience to the truth. Now, don't get confused. He's not saying that you purify your soul on your own by obeying a bunch of rules and laws. Because he goes on to say, look, you've been born again by the word of God. That's the end of verse 23. The word, you heard the word, this eternal abiding word, the word that I'm telling you today, the facts about Christ. And, and you heard it and you obeyed it. You heeded what it was saying. You paid attention to it and you accepted it. This word is the good news that was preached to you. Verse 24, 25. So today, you're hearing the word. The, the seed is being sown, as the parable of the sower says. The word of Christ is being put out there. What are you going to do with that? Do you accept that? Do you heed the implications of it? Obedience to the truth is submission to the claims of the gospel. The gospel is heard and it's heeded. Christ has come to cleanse and renew through his life, death, and resurrection. That's what he's doing. And to heed the gospel is to say, okay, Lord, I need you to do that to me because I'm filthy. I'm a sinner. He talks about in this passage the, the futile ways of your fathers, the wrong way of thinking, the wrong way of living. He's like, don't go back to that. Christ has come to give you new life, to, to free you from that enslavement to sin. So it's recognizing that you need a Savior and recognizing that Christ as I said at the beginning, is the only one who can do so. The only name under heaven by which we must be saved. 
And then, as you experience that new birth, and you have that living hope, and hopefully you can know the praise and the joy of Easter that Peter began with in the very beginning. And you can say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, according to his great mercy, caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that will never fade, never spoil, never die forever. And that is true joy. And that will bear you up through the trials of life and help you to live a life of holiness that he calls us to because that's what he's doing in us. So do you know that today? Are you living in light in light of that living hope? Do you know that living hope? Just cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what he came to do, and he's the only one who can do it. So there's no other name you need to call on but his. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to have a renewed hope. Lord, we forget the gospel. We forget what you have done for us. We forget what you're doing for us and we forget what you're going to do for us. Lord, we pray that we would be reminded of that today and that it would inform the way that we live our lives, that it would inform the actions that we take. It would inform uh, the loves that we have, the, the things that we set our heart upon. May our hearts be set upon Christ, the only Savior of mankind. We pray this in his name. Amen.